right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and we have a fun show today. We're going to be joined by... Trey Slotta of the Kansas City Star at about 3.30. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us at 4.40. And we also have some KU women's basketball talk. we got some KU football talk. We're going to do our KU football plays of the year coming up at 4.05. So we'll have those discussions and pick the different ones that we want to go with coming up later in the show. But first, let's have some fun with numbers. Mm, love numbers. Yeah. Big I numbers guy. You love numbers. No, I'm a huge numbers I guy. I do love numbers. No, I listen. Numbers are great. I had a revelation. I'm mm-hmm. a numbers guy now. What was the revelation? Huge numbers. Uh, the revelation was stop being an idiot. Okay. And learn how to count numbers. Well, we are going to uh, focus on individual numbers. We'll start with the football team. Get to the the basketball team. So Jason Bean finished the regular season sixth in college football. In EPA per play, expected points added per play by one model, he finished 12th in the country if he would have qualified by total QBR. I I mean, we've talked about that Jason being great and, and did all these things and was a warrior for KU and, and you know, super helpful to them. The evolution of Jason Bean. Have we not even given enough credit? Like, seriously, he has been one of the 15 best quarterbacks by a lot of different metrics in college football this year. Yeah, he's been, he's been excellent. I mean, uh, I, I think, as, as you've kind of stated, the fact that you have a player like Jason Bean who was ready to be done playing football like forever and KU says, hey, you know, we need a guy like you in our locker room. We need you to come back. And he does. And then the Jalen Daniel stuff happens and Jason Bean gets a chance to step up again. And remember, this was a guy that his sort of standing with KU fans was, was very, very murky, very, very muddled. All right, real quick, I have to interrupt our fun with numbers for not so fun with real life things. <laughs> what, what uh, Bruce Feldman, Kansas offensive coordinator Andy Kotelnicki is expected to become the next offensive coordinator at Penn State. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> that's a bit of news. And also, this news from KU Football just now. Head coach Lance Leipold has announced that Jim Zabrowski has been elevated to co-offensive coordinator. I wonder who the other what what co with who with Andy Kolnick, I guess until the end of the until year. until the end of the year I guess but okay and Jordan Peterson has been elevated to co-defensive coordinator. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we're going to scrap fun with that numbers. That makes a lot of sense. Because uh, we have a lot to talk about. So now. no more fun with numbers. Wow. <laughs> numbers are no longer no, fun. Numbers no longer are fun. Yes. They are stupid and irrelevant. Okay, so. Kotelnicki gone. Let's start there. Um, first of all, good luck to him. Uh, it was fun getting to know him. He always kept press conferences fun. Obviously a great mind as an offensive coordinator. You saw a bunch of the crazy stuff they would do, and he helped lead Kansas to being this electric offense. The fact that 
you had three quarterbacks who played this year, two quarterbacks who played last year, and, and you were still successful offense shows his mind as an offensive coordinator. Um, for him going to Penn State, it's a risk because James Franklin's had six offensive coordinators in 10 years. But if he is the guy that fixes the offense, Penn State with a fixed offense is good enough to like play in a playoff or win a national title. Yeah. So good luck to him. Um, from the standpoint of what is KU losing – it's obvious you could lose the brain behind it. We're going to find out. And honestly, see, I, I wouldn't really want at this point. I, I don't know about you. I do not want Andy Konolinki calling plays for the bowl game. Isn't I mean, why would a perfect play? Yeah. Well, why again, the, the co-offensive coordinator was Zabrowski. I, and, and I don't say that to be like rude, to be like, no, get out of here. Like, no, no. Like, thank you for the time <laughs> you've had here, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I say it because I think the bowl game now serves as a perfect trial run for Jim Zabrowski to call plays and get practice doing that. And I mean, Zabrowski was an offensive coordinator for Leipold before yeah. Kotelnicki, but yeah. uh, does that scare you at all, knowing that, I guess, that that Leipold had to bring on Kotelnicki because I, doesn't that imply to you that Zabrowski wasn't working as offensive yeah, coordinator? Mean, without having very much knowledge of what that time what that time was like, you know, I mean, I haven't, I have done like a deep dive and watched a lot of like tape or seen what K was doing or what, Lance Leipold was doing with Jim Zabrowski as offensive coordinator versus what versus what Kolnicki is doing, but uh, yeah, you know, I thought I thought you made maybe the best point that I've heard or seen about this Kolnicki situation yesterday, which was at Kansas as the offensive coordinator at Kansas, Andy Kolnicki was primed probably either you know maybe this offseason or, or next offseason if K had another successful season to be in a position where he would probably get some calls from some low end Power Five schools or maybe a Group of Five school, right? But to your point, you go to Penn State and you're the offensive coordinator at Penn State, and that is the catalyst for for Penn State finally getting over the hump, finally beating a Michigan, beating an Ohio State, maybe getting to a playoff and being you know playing for national title. If you wanted a head coaching job, guess what? The phone's going to be ringing off the hook from Power Five schools that are going to be looking at it, right? So if if that's Andy Kolnicki's end goal is to get a, a high end head coaching job. This kind of makes sense for him, right? I mean, it is it is a bit of a gamble as you outlined, like the fact that the fact that you know he could go to Penn State and if Penn State goes eight and four next season, see a James Franklin and probably see a Kotelnicki as well at that point. So there's definitely a, a gamble involved in it, but the payoff could be very significant for him, very significant, you know. And in this era of college athletics, I, I want to make something pretty clear here. What Kansas has with their support staff, with their assistant coaches. And, and, and their entire coaching staff, what they have, the continuity that I have, that they have, that is an exception to the rule. That is an exception to the norm in today's college athletics. The the norm is assistant coaches and coaching coaches leave and go new places all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's honestly very, very impressive that the fact that KU and Lance Leipold has managed to keep the guys that he has together with him for so long. I mean, Brian Boland's been with him for 20 years. Cole Nicky had been with him for a long time. Zabrowski's been with him for a long time. So the fact that he managed to do that for so long is really very impressive. And I think it makes a lot of sense now for Kolnicki here to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, if I want to be a head coach sooner rather than later, Lance Leipold, you know, I think I mentioned this yesterday. For a lot of KU fans, the dream would probably be Lance Leipold coaches and then retires and Andy Kolnicki takes over. That's probably five or six years down the road. If Andy Kolnicki wants a head coaching job sooner than that, this may be his best opportunity to put himself in a position to get the best head coaching job that he could possibly get. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, from the Kansas standpoint, so Zabrowski was the offensive coordinator for Lance Leipold's 
uh, when he was at, I want to say Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, yeah, he was the OC there uh, a while ago from 2007 to 2009. Uh, when he was the OC, they were 42-3, and and he was named the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Assistant Coach of the Year and the D3 Coordinator of the Year in 2009. Uh, he also served on Leipold's staff from 2017 to 2020. So I, I don't know the full story there. I guess maybe he left for another job and then, then came back. I, I don't know. Uh, but that has to give you some confidence that, you know, he's been in the building that he'll yeah. be able to pick up where he left off. And we said this yesterday that if if you are becoming a good football program, which Kansas is becoming and has become. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You're not going to be like, yes, you want to have staff retention and staff continuity, and KU has done an unbelievable job at that under Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold has done that unbelievable job of that everywhere he's gone. Um, at the same point in time, you're going to lose guys. You look at Nick Saban, you know, the, the best coach in college football history. He loses coordinators every couple of years. He loses assistant coaches every couple of years. And it's not because they have turmoil and they're doing this or that. It's because you're doing really well and other schools come calling and say, hey, we want to hire that guy for a bigger, better position here. And so you have to, to sustain at a school like Kansas, it's it's inevitable, whether it was Andy Kolenicki or somebody else, it, it's inevitable that you're going to eventually lose coordinators or you're going to lose assistant coaches. You have to be good at hiring the replacements. You have to be good at developing internal guys that can take those jobs. And that is what Lance Leipold is known for. Lance Leipold, a great CEO. So, yes, I it sucks Andy Kolenicki's gone and you wish him the best. I'll be honest, I'm not overly concerned. No. I'm really not because I, I trust Lance Leipold, don't you? Yeah, and yeah. it isn't the whole idea of having a head coach you trust and having an athletic director that you trust to deal with things like this, you know? Well, and look at how KU and Lance Leipold, look at how Lance Leipold operates. It's a system. It's a process. I think it's pretty clear that the system and processes that KU has in place, they are not driven by one person, right? So losing uh, one piece of the puzzle I don't think is going to dramatically alter or change really the the – the overarching picture or theme, right? And and I do have a lot of confidence uh, in in Lance Leipold, as you alluded to. And honestly, I I expect Zabrowski to just become the offensive coordinator. That's that's what I expect. Uh, and I and I don't even really think KU's offense will miss very much from that. So the other aspect of this is Kolenicki was also the tight ends coach. So KU probably will need to bring in a new some somebody new yeah. to fill in either the tight ends coach role or or maybe if Sabrowski ends up just being the offensive coordinator, maybe they need a new quarterbacks coach, you know, whatever. So they will need to probably find somebody from the outside or, or something. Uh, but yeah, to your point, I, I do have a lot of confidence in Lance Leipold. And when your team gets to this level, as you alluded to, these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen. And I know there's been a lot of chatter also about the the impact possibly on recruiting. Andy Kolnicki, as far as I can tell or have learned, is he has not necessarily been the main recruiter for a lot of the guys that are in the 2024 class for KU. It's been a lot of the assistant coaches. So I don't think him leaving should significantly negatively impact KU on the recruiting front. And then uh, you and I were actually talking about this off air. You know, Jordan Peterson, how could he also not be a hot commodity in terms of other schools looking at a guy like that? The dude built a recruiting pipeline from nothing to Arizona. He built it out of thin air. He went there and he just produced something that was previously not there. There was no foundation, nothing. He went out and did it and has uh, you know, a group of kids coming from, from Desert Edge High School, including Sean Warner, that could all be major impact players for Kansas. 
And you look at what he did. Remember, he had to, he was a defensive. He was the acting defensive coordinator for a game for Kansas earlier this season, yeah. and did very well. So clearly, KU, you know, similarly to what they did with Andy Kolnicki. If you remember, with Andy Kolnicki last season, as part of his increase in pay raise, he was also named associate head coach. Right. This yep. is basically the same thing with with Jordan Peterson. There's there. This is the you know carbon copy. Hey, we want you to stay here. Here's a here's a here's a promotion. And a title promotion, co-defensive coordinator. So fantastic move there to try to keep him hopefully at Kansas. But, but yeah, with the Kolnicki thing, uh, like I said, I, I think if he really, really wants to get a big time, big time Power Five yeah, job, this is how he can do it. This is how he can do it. You yeah. go to Penn State, and like I said, you get over the hump. You play, you compete for a national title. the The phone is going to be ringing from a lot of different jobs, Power Five jobs, probably. You know, major Power Five jobs that are going to be interested in you if you have success there. Yeah, I have no ill will towards Andy Kotelnicki. Um, I and, and like I said, I think part of it is that just with Lance Leipold, you have so much continuity that you feel like you're set up to be okay after this. Jim Zabrowski too. So I'm, I am looking to your point on the recruiting stuff. Like I'm looking through all the offensive commits in the class of 2024. Harrison Utley, one of the offensive linemen, uh, Scott Fuchs, and Brian Borland was the secondary guy. Yeah. Um, Red Martell. Primary, Jonathan Wallace. Secondary, Brian Borland. Um, David Abagian, one of your offensive linemen. He was, uh, Scott Fuchs was his main guy. Uh, Harry Stewart, one of the running backs. His secondary was Kotelnicki, but his primary, Jonathan Wallace. Still there, right? Uh, Carter Lavruski, Jordan Peterson. Secondary, Scott Fuchs. And the big one, Isaiah Marshall, right? Yeah. Chris yeah. Simpson and Jim Zabrowski. Okay? Yeah. So that everything's going to be okay from that standpoint. Um, honestly, I, to your point on the Jordan Peterson one, I actually think, I, I know this is going to sound heinous. This might sound crazy because we've seen what the offense is. Because they still have the infrastructure, and I guess we're still waiting to see, you know, how does the Andy Kolnicki move affect current players on the roster, right? Like, that's the recruiting side. Does it make any of the receivers, does it make any of the, the running back, does it make any of the offensive linemen on the current team say, hey, maybe I'm going to transfer to Penn State with him? Does it make him, them say, hey, maybe I'll check out the transfer portal to see what else is out there since there is maybe some uncertainty there? And but if you're because, thinking about Jalen Daniels, relax. Yeah. Penn well, State I mean, has like three five-star QBs on their roster. Also, his quarterback coach is now the OC, so I'd imagine there's a good relationship there. I, I've heard good things about Jim Zabrowski and, and the relationships he's had, so yeah. I, I think that's a good thing uh, when you hire internally like that. And so um, I, I think that'll be the biggest question, the transfer portal, but when you look at 2024, as long as they keep the group together of players, which Lance Leipold's still here, Jim Zabrowski's still all these guys are still here. Even if you, you don't have the creative mind of Andy Kolnicki, and for all we know, Jim Zabrowski is on that same level, you still have Jalen Daniels. You still have Daniel Highshaw. You could have Devin Neal. You still have possibly a lot of these receivers. You still have, you know, Jared Casey and Trevor Cardell. You still have a good offensive uh, line. So uh, the, the pieces are in place that they can still be a good offense even without Andy Kotelnicki. Sure. I almost think the Jordan Peterson one is the bigger deal retaining because the fact that you are promoting him to co-DC doesn't just imply that he's gotten a promotion. It implies that he is staying. There's been a lot of talk. There's been a yep. lot of rumors about, I think his alma mater is Texas A&M. Obviously, they uh, are overhauling the staff because Mike Elko takes over, and there's been some talk of would they have interest Dude, in bringing him on? Would another school have interest in bringing him on? Do you really want to go to a DC? school that has a bunch of old white guys doing some kind of weird cult chant? No, you don't want to go there. Well, okay, so he he basically could have had a lot of probably opportunities as defensive coordinators um, from being a young guy, yeah. being an uppercomer well, in the and industry. He was, 
uh, so he was the defensive coordinator at New Mexico, I think, or okay. Mexico State briefly, and was very successful. Mm-hmm. So he has already proven that he can be a coordinator at yeah. that, at, you know, be a coordinator. And we've seen what he can do on the recruiting trail. He is the primary recruiter for those Arizona commits. Deshaun Warner is absolutely blowing up in the recruiting game. So, I mean, you have a chance to have uh, some pretty special kids coming in from there. If you lost Jordan Peterson, those kids maybe decommit. I I don't know. It's it's impossible to know for sure. But now you keep them in tow. So I guess like it's it's one of those things where it sucks you lose Andy Kotelnicki and it could hurt you. But I guess it remains to be seen if it does or if it doesn't. I I think the Jordan Peterson one is just as big that you're retaining him for sure at this point. And it's not just the the recruits. Like you look at the current roster. Going back to the idea of what'll make the Andy Kotelnicki one hurt more is if you lose players to the transfer portal on offense. With with Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant having decisions upcoming here, having Jordan Peterson back doesn't hurt. Yeah. Doesn't for hurt. Sure. For sure. No, I, I, am, I almost tend to agree with you. Jordan Peterson staying may end up being a bigger deal, especially for the defense. Like, I, I have confidence that the offense will still be able to be successful when you consider what they – that that offense could look like next season with Jalen Daniels, possibly Devin Neal or Daniel Hyshaw, you know, uh, in the backfield. Your receiving core is is really solid right now, even if maybe, you know, even if a guy like Luke Grimm or Lawrence Arnold, if those guys are thinking something else, you still have a really, really solid re- uh, receiving core. Your O-line is going to take a hit with no more Dominic Pooney and Mike Davitsky, but you feel still pretty good about it. So I think the offense will still be pretty quality without Kolnicki, but to your point, the defense, I mean, think about it. The defense has been, uh, I, hate to, I hate to use the term weaker unit because that maybe that wasn't even really that true this year, but the past couple of years under Lance Leipold, especially last season, you look at the defense as kind of the unit that was maybe holding you back a little bit. So the fact they're able to retain a clearly a bright, young defensive mind and clearly a bright, young recruiter as well mm-hmm. on that side of the ball, very significant. By the way, I want to amend something I said earlier. I I said earlier, okay, well, Jim Zabrowski was at one point the offensive coordinator for Leipold, and then uh, what ha- what what happened there that caused Kotelnicki to take over uh, that that pushed him to being the QB coach? Would, would that be cause for concern? I I just didn't realize the path here. So he was his offensive coordinator at Wisconsin Whitewater. Then he took a job at Northern Illinois as their QBs coach while Leipold was still at Whitewater. And then when he got to Buffalo, Kotelnicki was hired as OC and he was hired as QB coach. So it wasn't a situation where he got demoted at one yeah. point and they had to bring Kotelnicki on. Um, he's had a lot of success as the offense coordinator. So, again, uh, Kotelnicki gone uh, sucks on one hand, but I, I think KU has shown enough staff continuity. And I trust Jim Zabrowski to be able to, to, to run this offense well, especially with some of the pieces at play. The biggest question now just becomes, can you have player retention despite Andy Kolenicki leaving? And if you can, I think it's going to be totally fine. But again, it's a real big deal that you were able to get Jordan Peterson back. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, is going to join us coming up next. I guess we got something new to talk about <laughs> with Shreyas now. Uh, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to him about this Andy Kolenicki, Jordan Peterson and uh, Jim Zabrowski news. We'll also talk to Shreyas 
uh, other KU football, I guess, bowl game talk, and some KU basketball. They're taking on UConn. He actually used to cover UConn a couple years ago as well, so he'll have a, a good kind of insight onto both sides of things with the Kansas-UConn game coming up on Friday. You can hear that game right here on KLWN and over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with pregame starting at 6.30 and tip-off at 8 o'clock. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us at 4.40. We got our KU Football Plays of the Year coming up at 4.05. Joined now by Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Uh, and I want to talk a little KU UConn here, but breaking news right at the top of our show about a half an hour ago with Andy Kotelnicki, according to Bruce Feldman, taking the Penn State job. Uh, moments later, we, we hear Kansas is promoting... Jordan Peterson to co-DC. They're promoting Jim Zabrowski to co-offensive coordinator. So uh, let's just start there, Shreyas. I, I guess first thoughts, kind of open forum here on Kotelnicki leaving and the hole that could leave for KU on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, waiting to just kind of get final confirmation from KU on that end, but it's looking like he's leaving. And, you know, it's a tough blow. You know, he's been a part of Lance's staff since 2013, dating back to his Buffalo days and, uh, you know, he's been a tremendous play caller. And I, I think it was just a matter of time before he got scooped up by uh, another school. I know uh, there was, like, rumors and interest of him being uh, kind of a hot topic, you know, offensive coordinator uh, name. And, and with good reason, he's led Kansas to some really great offensive finishes with, uh, you know, good players, but nothing, like, crazy. No five stars, no guys like that. Uh, so, you know, congrats to him for his promotion, I guess, in a sense. Uh, and it's definitely going to be, I think, a little bit tough for KU to replicate some of the great play calling and the schemes that he put together that led the offensive, uh, you know, guys getting so open and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I presume Lance had to kind of you know, push him a little bit in the sense of, like, you know, it's a job you can't turn down, especially because if he does a good job at Penn State, he's probably got any head coach job he wants in the country in a few years. Yeah, and uh, when you look at Jim Zabrowski being moved up, I, I guess, you know, you don't really know till you see them call plays, and, and we will find out, I guess, with, with some media veils and, and what happens in the bowl game to see how different or how similar the offense is called, how similar, you know, some of the stuff is, how – uh, is it going to be just as creative and wacky as, as Andy Kolnicki is, right? I mean, some of those. But uh, I think the Jordan Peterson one, to me, as as big of a loss as Andy Kolnicki is, I think there is at least enough in place when you look at Lance Leipold having continuity on the staff. Jim Zabrowski's been there for a while. He's been a former offensive coordinator for him, uh, possibly having a lot of the talent back on the offense. Um, you know, there is enough in place that the offense can still be really good. I, I think the Jordan Peterson one is is such huge news as well because there there's been some I don't know rumors or talk that you know he could be a bright candidate to be a defensive coordinator elsewhere. So for them to to I guess bump him up to co defensive coordinator with Brian Borland, which I'd imagine comes with a pay increase and it comes with the title increase. Uh, obviously, he's been a big recruiter. To me, that's almost just as big of a move. No, I, I think that's huge. They needed to do something like that because Peterson's been a absolute menace on the recruiting trail, and he's done a great job with the uh, secondary in general. Kansas secondary has been a major strength this year between Kobe and Mello. 
uh, Logan and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, it was something they really needed to do. Like you said, if he, they didn't do, uh, they were probably in risk of losing him for good uh, just because of how uh, much of a, a guy he's, you know, you see his name out there and you see who he's recruited to come to Kansas the next few years. Uh, and, you know, obviously the talent that Kansas has had in the secondary and, you know, kind of coaching those guys up. Uh, he built a nice little resume for himself, and he got a nicely deserved promotion. Uh, and I think, like you said, it's as big as news as any for him to get that bump up because I think uh, Borland is a little older, so, you know, maybe in a couple of years he decides to retire, Peterson can take over. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Would Would you agree with something I said in, in the beginning was that obviously the Kotelniki loss does matter, but I, I almost wonder if, if it has an effect on losing players into the transfer portal, which I don't know, it might, it might not, right? Having an internal hire with Jim Zabrowski, I'm sure helps with that area. He was working with the quarterbacks. Uh, they've got players who have to make decisions anyway, whether uh, the Kotelniki thing uh, alters that, changes that in any way. But um, would you agree that that it's almost a bigger deal if they lose like some of the key players who could come back next year than it would be to lose Kotelniki? I think it depends who the players are. You know, like I, I, I mean, I'm, I kind of would wonder who would leave with him uh, to Penn State. Uh, I, I mean, like, yeah, I don't think Jalen would leave. Jason's gone after this year, anyways. Um, well, Highshaw, maybe. Uh, let's see what happens with Neil. But either Neil is going to the draft or he comes back for another year with KU. I think. Uh, you know, I think. Cole Nicky's loss is going to be a loss in the sense because we don't know what to expect from Jim. Like, we obviously know continuity, like you said, is great. And I think that's really important. Uh, but we know Cole Nicky can put together top 10 offenses with the talent Kansas has had up to this point. But we don't know if Jim can do that exact same thing. And we know Andy is bright and creative and all that stuff. Until we see what Jim puts together, I think his loss is just uh, a little bit of a, a bigger loss, at least right now. Uh, obviously, things could change, and maybe all these offensive guys that you know I talked about, maybe they do end up you know following him to Penn State or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I think right now a Kolnicki loss will be a bigger deal. Yeah. All right, we're talking with Shreyas Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. I did originally bring you on to, to mostly talk about KU UConn before that hit. Obviously, a big one on Friday night, eight o'clock pregame, six thirty here on KLWN. Top five matchup. Back-to-back last two national champions, KU two years ago, UConn last year. Uh, Before we get into the game specifically, just more holistically for KU, coming off that Eastern Illinois game, now obviously the record's still good. They still have a couple nice wins with Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, But what to this point do you think is most worrisome for you about KU, something that they haven't done well to this point that maybe worries you long-term that you don't know how much better it's going to get? Well, the two things for me are, perimeter shooting, and rebounding. Perimeter shooting can be mitigated if Nick Timberlake wakes up a little bit and plays well. You know, he makes a bunch of threes, uh, and Johnny Furphy takes more threes. I I, I noticed this trend with Johnny. He's done a pretty good job shooting from deep, and and just overall, he's only playing about 15 minutes a game. I I have to double-check, but last time I checked the stats, I think right before last game, he was shooting like 37% from threes on three attempts. So maybe you put him in the starting lineup if you feel like you need shooting that bad and just tell him to go bombs away, uh, you know, because he does a lot of other things really well. 
Um, and the rebounding thing, I think, is going to be a little bit more of an issue because I think Bill talked about it after the game where KJ was so great at boxing out the best rebounder on the team last year. Obviously, he's not doing that with Hunter Dickens in the round. And if Kevin is not putting in, like, I mean, he's averaging eight rebounds a game, but I think his offensive rebounding rate is down by half. And I think his defensive rebounding game rate is down as well. Uh, you know, it puts Kim's in a tough position because Dewan and Elmarco are not really getting boards like that. It might have to be a team rebounding kind of thing where they make a collective effort to prevent guys from getting the offensive rebounds. And then on the defensive end, you know, you box, uh, you've got to get a guy like KJ to tap and go get it, as Bill would say. Uh, I think those are the two biggest issues. And I mean, really, it worries me because the three point shooting to me is a recipe for disaster come March if they do not figure it out. They're not taking a lot of threes. Uh, I think they're, like, in the 200s or 300s in attempts. Uh, and, you know, the mirage of them shooting now 40, 35%, I think they're shooting 40% before this game, is not real. Uh, to me, the 35% is pretty much meaningless. Uh, because if you're taking three or four or five threes a game, it does not, or making three or four or five threes a game, it does not mean anything. There's some intriguing matchups, certainly, in this game for, for KU against UConn. Most notably, Hunter Dickinson uh, taking on Klingon, or I like to call him Klingon. Uh, so when you look at that matchup, where do you think Dickinson might have the edge a little bit, and what would be some of the keys maybe to trying to to give to tip the scales in KU's favor in that particular matchup? Well, I think Dickinson has the edge that he's an older, experienced guy going against a younger guy in a tough environment. Donovan Klingon is very good. He's going to be an NBA lottery pick. He's projected NBA lottery pick, and, uh, you know, I think he does a lot really well on the court. But I think Dickinson can get Klingon into foul trouble, which he had some issues with last year. Uh, he can get the crowd kind of into it. Maybe that influences Donovan's game a little bit. And Donovan has still been kind of a – I don't know if you guys watched a little bit of the older games, but he's been a step slow. I think he's still trying to recover from his foot injury. Um, and, you know, that is another big thing. Uh, and he talked about how important it is today to win his matchup, which I think is so, so true, because if he wins his matchup, it feels like most of the time his teams, whether it's KU or it was Michigan, they win the game. Uh, so if he wins the matchup and he wins it handily or like a good amount, I think Kansas will be in a much better shot to come out and be the uh, successors in this end uh, and be the victors, I mean, really, come Friday. Well, at this point in time, again, kind of holistically here on the flip side of the negative side of things, what do you feel is like their biggest strength? What do you feel is like their, their team identity right now? Well, they, they pass the ball really well. I think they're like number one in the nation at this rate. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job of defense for the most part when they're locked in. Uh, I really do like the two-man game between Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson. Uh, I think it's gotten really, really good. Kevin has obviously taken a leap, I think, in all ends. Hunter has been, as advertised, if not better. Um, you know, I think there is a lot of youth on this team that can be uh, guys that could be useful come March or rotation players come conference time. It just needs to show up a little bit. Um, I like the roster composition besides the three-point shooting for the most part. And, you know, like I think Kansas needs to lean on, you know, just – A.J. Adams a little more on the offensive end because whenever he's been aggressive, I feel like Kansas looks at their best. Um, but, you know, they have a lot going for them. You know, they can shoot well inside the arc. They assist the ball well. 
Um, you know, they are are unselfish on that end. And when they want to, they can rebound the ball well, as we saw against Tennessee. Talking with Shrey's Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Um, so, I mean, is is there anything that, that you feel like Kansas does have an advantage in in this matchup? And, and what ways do you think uh, they, they might be on the opposite end of that? Like, where do you think UConn has the biggest edge? Where do you think Kansas has the biggest edge? Uh, I think the biggest edge for Kansas will be, uh, you know, UConn isn't great at three-point shooting uh, or defending three-point shooting. So Kansas's biggest weakness is the fact they don't take a ton of threes, right? And they don't make a ton at the, the mark. So you can also attack the fact that UConn is so, so focused on getting two-point shots, which they're fantastic at. If you can block up the paint, let's force UConn to take some threes. They have a great job of it this year. They have a, a roster filled with a couple of guys who can shoot the ball, but they haven't showcased how good they actually are. Obviously, things can change, but with an influence from the crowd and good quality KU defense, you're forcing UConn to take threes instead of twos. I think you're doing what you should be doing. Um, on the flip side, I think UConn has a big advantage in rebounding. They're, like, I think top ten in both rebounding categories, fourth in the nation, rebounding margin. Uh, they have two guys who are really good around the rim at defending. I think I, I, there's a stat that 48% of the time, like 48.3% is the rim percentage for uh, field goal percentage for teams against UConn at the rim. Uh, and they get blocked like 20% of the time, which is nuts. Um, but I will say – UConn's schedule, the turn of schedule is like 349. So it's not as good as, you know, I think UConn out of hope because Indiana hasn't been great. Uh, so Kansas will be, I think, the most difficult opponent they've played so far. And I think they can pose some problems. It's just, you know, relying on guys like Hunter Dickinson doing what he does best. Uh, a guy like Dewan Harris being aggressive. Uh, and I think overall, this team can win the game. I mean, like, you know, UConn isn't infallible, especially with Seth and Castle out. They can exploit some of the weaknesses UConn has, I think, in perimeter defense and uh, just overall. But it's going to be a tough game overall. Uh, what is what is Dewan Harris? What does his performance have to look like for, for Kansas to come out on top of this game? Like, does it have to be more of the defensive player on Tristan Newton and getting a bunch of assists and low turnover numbers? Does it have to be aggressive? Does it have to be mixed? What do you think? If Kansas comes out on top, what would Dewan Harris's performance have to look like? I think it has to be a mix of both, but I think you need him to not just have one point. You know, uh, like it's just it's it's just not the way to go. You know, yeah, it's like every time you let him just be this facilitator, teams take advantage of that because essentially there's two non-shooters in lineup. So it puts a ton of stress. I think we talked about this last year, right? A little bit. Uh, and we've had this conversation multiple times where it puts a lot of stress on guys like Hunter Dickinson or Kevin McCuller or even KJ Adams, right? Uh, until Marco Jackson gives something consistently in the offensive end, DeWan Harris needs to be the aggressor on offense. He needs to go to the rim a little more. He needs to take shots. He's got to be more selfish, I think, in my opinion. And uh, just having that will make things so much easier for the rest of his teammates because we all know he can facilitate the ball. We all know he can do those things, but him canning a couple of threes is probably the difference between Kansas blowing out Eastern Illinois and just winning by nine like they did on uh, Tuesday. All right, so overall, besides Dewan Harris, just overall as a team, if, if Kansas does win the game on Friday night, what do you think happened? What do you think that looked like? Why did Kansas come out on top if it does end up that way? I think it means Hunter Dickinson 
won the matchup against Don McClingan. Uh, I think that means DeWan Harris was aggressive on the offensive end. Uh, I think it means that Kansas forced UConn to take three-point shots that were difficult, and they didn't make them, uh, and kept them out of the paint and kept them out of the, the range. And, you know, they didn't let UConn go and get ahead on transition because they score a lot of points in transition. That, you know, they love to, you know, block shots or get steals, and then they go off and running because they got a lot of youth. Uh, so those couple of things are big. Uh, I think it also means Kevin Culler bounced back, I think, from a, a poor shooting night last game. And if they do win the game, what do you think the conversation would be afterwards? Do you think it would be immediately, okay, Kansas clearly is one of the best teams in the country, and you know any of the issues they had against Marquette and Eastern Illinois, it, it doesn't matter, uh, versus if they lose the game, what do you think the conversation looked like? Like, I guess, what is the dichotomy of the result of Friday night look like? Do you think from after the game, whether it's from fans, from Bill Self, and all that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's it's interesting because it's okay to lose to UConn because they are national title contenders and they look really good and they've been really good. It's the way they lose would be more important to me. Like, if we keep on having this conversation where they can't rebound the ball, they can't hit threes, uh, and, you know, they lost the game again because they shot three of 20 or whatever from three, then I don't really know what the solution for Kansas is. Like, we're going to have this, you know, you know, murmur out loud, and, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I really do think, you know, obviously with standing all the court stuff as the guy who's, you know, broke all that stuff. The whole of Arterio Morris has been evident, I think, very, very uh, throughout this season early on. And until Marco Jackson and Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake figure out some of their struggles or, uh, you know, just how to figure out their own roles, I think Kansas is going to have these questions from the fans and the media about, you know, why is this, is this team even better than last year? Uh, and, and we've seen those self teams turn it around around December, November, or January anyway. So I'm not really worried about that. But that is the question. And I think if they win, you know, I think that how they do it will be also important. Like if they can do it while shooting a decent amount of threes and playing good perimeter defense and keeping UConn out of the paint, uh, I think that is so key. I mean, this this team is a good defensive team. I think that's one of its biggest strengths. Uh, this team is great at finding the open man. They're better at moving the ball around, I think, better than most teams in the country. Uh, so they do a lot well. And it's just it's some of these other things that I think that can be a recipe for upsets come conference time, come March, that worry me. And I don't know if some of the issues they have will be figured out by come March. Right, I think it's well said. Trace Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have fun covering everything this weekend and getting some stuff out with the uh, head coaching st- or the uh, offense coordinator stuff as well for K football. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thanks again. That's Trace Lotta, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. All right. We're going to take a timeout. We've got a short segment to finish out the hour. Let's talk a little bit more about the uh, offense coordinator position and uh, a little KU women's basketball, too. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it o'clock hour again the news of the day Andy Kolnicki he gone and Jim Zabrowski Jordan Peterson stocks up who <laughs> so uh, we'll talk more about that coming up throughout the show voice of the Jayhawks Brian Haney is going to join us in about 35 minutes from right now 
Uh, I don't know. I, it almost feels sad to talk KU football right now because of the news that happened. But yeah. again, like I said, it, it, like it's it's almost inevitable you're going to lose assistance at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just how you respond from here. You know, that's just yeah. how it goes. So and I think you have do, to you have to trust kind of like what we yeah, talked about. You, you have to trust the uh, the system and staff in place, starting with uh, Lance Leipold himself yep. to to make sure that. You stay on an upward trajectory. By the way, for what it's worth, I've seen a couple people mentioning, like, why didn't KU pay Andy Kolnicki's bag to keep him to stay? I am under the impression that KU did offer Andy Kolnicki a sizable sum of money and that this was just more about Kolnicki wanting the opportunity to, you know, you go to Penn State, national limelight, probably top 10 team, and like we kind of talked about, he wants to be a head coach. If you get Penn State over the hump and help them beat Michigan or Ohio State, you help them go eleven and one. You help them make a playoff. You help them do win X bit, or Y. A, win a big ten title. A, you know, productive offense. Yeah, win a Big Ten title. You are getting a Power Five head coaching job, right? Yeah, and, and also, it, you know, the situation right now for KU is yes, this program is on the rise, but still, there's a gap between your Penn States, your Ohio States, your Michigans, your Texas A and M's, your Texases of the world in terms of resources and Kansas right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I, that's not trying to like dog Kansas or say a negative, say it negatively. Like, I think that's just kind of a point of fact uh, at this point. So, it, you know, if if one of those schools really, really, really wanted a guy, like it seems like Penn State wanted Andy Kolnicki, they're probably just willing to straight up offer you offer more financially, right? And uh, you know, KU had already given Andy Kolnicki a sizable increase in pay and 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 a, and a title change to associate head coach, right? To 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 help you know motivate him to stick around. But you know, at the end of the day. That's just probably not a bidding war you're going to necessarily win if you're Kansas right now. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to more thoughts on that coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. But I do want to do this KU football plays of the uh, the year. I, I I had this segment planned out. I thought this was going to be fun. And then, yeah, that, that negative news kind of comes down. So, let's start here. I have these segmented out into superlatives here. Why are you laughing? Uh, I just got a text from my friend. Now. Okay. Pay sorry. attention. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Okay. Um, throw of the year is our first one here. Mm. Okay. So lots of good throws of the year. Um, uh, let me mention ones that come to mind for me, and then if, if you have any that come to mind, you, you can add in, and, and then we'll come to a decision. Okay. So Jalen Daniels, the, the scramble from Johnny Newton where he's coming at him, the Illinois game, and yeah. he's back in his own end zone. So and that was, what, third down and like 17 something like or that. something? And he throws a dart to Lawrence Arnold for yep. the first down. Now, should yep. he get credit for the scramble? It's throw of the year. I mean, does it all encompass? Not maybe. scramble of the year. Right. <laughs> but it, it does kind of matter. Uh, later at the end of the first half, that throw to Luke Grimm deep downfield, that was a dime. It was a great catch by Luke Grimm, too, at yeah. the end of the first half. Um, the Jason Bean throw to Quentin Skinner against Oklahoma State where he's rolling to the left at the end of the first half, uh, throwing the opposite side of his throwing arm, perfectly thrown ball to Quentin Skinner to the sideline who then makes the catch and then runs downfield for a touchdown. That was a great throw by Jason Bean. Yeah. Uh, the Jason Bean throw to Lawrence Arnold on fourth down, I mean, that one just meant yep. so much. Yep. And, and I think that's got to be up there. All sorts of throws against Iowa State, right? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the corner route to Grimm on third and ten in the first half, the, the sideline deep throw to Doug Emelian, the uh, final touchdown throw to Lawrence Arnold on, on the – I mean, if that ball's thrown two inches shorter – it might be tipped by the the DB and incomplete. So, do you want to throw in the pass to Quentin Skinner against Iowa State that was deflected by like two defenders and Quentin Skinner makes the catch? You mean Oklahoma? No, uh, wasn't there? Didn't he have one on Iowa, against Iowa State? No, Iowa State. He just caught that crazy pass like between two defenders on the sideline. It was like the Mario Manningham one. Yeah, well, but that was like top five Sports Center play, right? Yeah, I think that was number two. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know that if that was, was as wasn't much it the tipped? throw. Was it not tipped? No, you're thinking of the Oklahoma one. Oh, okay. Well, we're gonna have a catch of the year. 
Ah, I view it more so than that. Here, let me, let me am, go over the, the categories. I, I guess you should start. <laughs> am I, I getting ahead of myself? Award show host. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, we have Throw of the Year. We have Run of the Year. Mm. We have Quentin Skinner Catch of the Year. Oh, We have non-Quentin so Skinner has, Catch of the Year. He has his he own does. category. He has his own category. We have Block of the Year. We have Hit of the Year, brought to you by Pearson Collision. We have Sack of the Year. We have Pick Six of the Year. And we have Jared Casey of the Year. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. So I've, throw I've of the year. Am I missing any others, or or is there one that sticks out uh, to you? You know, he had a couple throws against Iowa State that were like I remember one to Luke Graham. It was on a third down and f- like six, I think, and he just throws it. Jason Bean all the way across the field uh, on an out route, like an NFL Oklahoma? type throw. No, no, it was against Iowa State. Oh, he had one against Iowa State. Okay. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. It yeah, was the Luke Graham. It was, it was early in the game, like third and six. Yeah, third and five. Luke Grimm runs an out route from the opposite hash. He throws it to him. But, again, like, the throw of the year, to me, it's got to be, like, that's not good enough. You know what I mean? It's got to be, like, a touchdown or something. Right. Uh, I have a vote in mind. Okay. Right, should we just get straight vote? to the voting? I think we should. I am voting for Jason Bean to Lawrence Arnold, touchdown against Iowa State. Mm. The last touchdown that put KU ahead by, what, at that point they were up by double – it was scores. twenty-one to eighteen that put them up twenty-eight to eighteen. Yeah, ended up winning twenty-eight twenty-one. That is my vote. Mm-hmm-hmm. See, okay, the, the 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 fourth down to Lawrence Arnold also close second for me. That one has the most meaning to me. I don't know, man. The Iowa State one was a pretty significant one. Iowa yeah, State had all the momentum. Game. They had come back. They were down three. Like, if you don't score on that drive. Iowa State maybe wins the game. You still could have won. If you don't convert the OU one, you do lose. For sure. Like, they kneel the clock out. And also, the OU game just inherently was the best. I get Yeah, I get it. I understand. I would go with the Bean Arnold one on fourth down. Okay. I'd be tempted by the Jalen Daniels scramble one just for the flash of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm sticking to my guns on uh, touchdown to Lawrence Arnold. So we have a split award. Split vote. You're going Bean to Arnold. I'm going Bean to Arnold in a different game. Run of the year. Uh, a couple that come to mind, there was uh, the Neil Catch. He was, like, wide open on a throwback against Nevada, and then he made a couple of nice cuts, a couple of nice moves on, on a long run against Nevada down to the one-yard line. He had the uh, game-winning touchdown against Nevada, which was a play where they were at the three-yard line. Gets the ball running right. He gets hit at the five, breaks the tackle, cuts into the middle, dives into the end zone. That was a cool play. Uh, Highshaw's nine-yard run with the truck. Yeah, that was awesome. That was no, I, I was wondering if you were going to put that reason. one in there. Uh, Devin Neal, the first run of the second half was a yeah. 75-yard touchdown against UCF. Good. That one would be up there. Yep. Bean had the 28-yard rushing touchdown against Oklahoma off the read option where he like goes through the goal line like it's a sprinter going yep. through the tape. Yep. That was awesome. That was fun. Devin Neal, like, this, it is sad to me because I think this one would actually be my answer <laughs> if they won the game. And okay. I don't know how that much that matters. Should it matter? Should it not? I don't know. The second, it was second and 21, and they ran speed option against Texas Tech. And he scored the touchdown. Yes, and that got the crowd into it. He scores a 60-yard touchdown. That one was awesome. Trevor Wilson's punt return against UCF. I mean, technically it was on the run. Does that count as a run? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. The committee might take a look at that one. Uh, Devin Neal's 36-yard touchdown run against Kansas State. That was their first score. Got him into it. And if you go back, I mean, he breaks multiple tackles. Like, breaking tackles, making cuts by guys. It was an unbelievable run. Yep. And then Bean's two rushing touchdowns against Cincinnati, both of them. Either one. Yeah, both I, both were awesome. I don't know which one you have a preference. The second one was longer. I think the first uh, one was cooler, though. Yeah, yeah. I think the first one is the one where there's like four guys that have an angle and he yes, runs by and all they, of them. All, yeah, they they he yeah. 
yeah, he messes yeah. the angle for yep. all of them because yep. they think it's like, oh, it's a quarterback. I'll make yep. the angle. And they're like, yep. oh, no. You know? So I think that one was more. All fun. right. Let me give you my top three. Okay. Top three in no particular order. No particular order. Devin Neal against Texas Tech. Bean against Oklahoma. Devin Neal against Kansas State. Those are my top three. You agree? Disagree? You, you put any any other ones? Any other Would ones? You say in there? Oklahoma State or Oklahoma? Okay. Sorry, Oklahoma. Yeah, I definitely the the Neil one against Texas Tech would be in my top three. I think I would have the Neil one against Kansas State, and then yeah, the Bean one against OU is the one to me that it feels super iconic okay. with that game so that, in this. So we're, we're both in agreement on the top three. Yeah. Okay. What's your vote? Dun dun dun. Hmm. If they would have won the K-State or Texas Tech games, I, I would have picked that one. And maybe that's unfair to be like, that is kind of it's not his fault. It's kind of like hindsight. I know. Really. It's yeah. not his fault. Yeah. But so the you're Bean going one Bean? against Oklahoma. I'm going the Bean against Oklahoma. All right. Well, I... You're so fast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Devin Neal against Kansas State. Okay. You watch that play. Kansas State had him like three guys. It was it was kind of like a it was one of those freeze frame moments where it's like record scratch and it's like Devin Neal with three guys in front of him on the sideline and then you may be wondering how I got myself in this situation you also may be wondering how I score on this play and then boop he goes and scores give me the Devin Neal Kansas State touchdown run that's what I'm voting for okay I'm fine with that uh, okay Quentin split Skinner vote, split vote again wow Quentin Skinner Tough. catch of the year. He has the uh, the the tip drill against Oklahoma, the one where it's tipped twice and then he catches it inbounds. Yep. He has the one against Iowa State where he makes it between the guys. He has the diving catch against Texas Tech on what was the game tying drive. And I I honestly forgot about this one. I went back and watched like the highlights of all the games uh, to get prepared for this. I forgot about this one because it's been so long. Remember that that throw by Jalen Daniels to the sideline against Nevada when it was 24-24, and he somehow goes yep. up, toe taps? Yep. That was an unbelievable catch. He yes. looked like San Antonio Holmes yes. in the Super Bowl. So this is why he has his own category. He he made a bunch of unbelievable catches this year. Okay, yeah, no, I think this is fair. Yeah, the, the Nevada one, to your point, probably not very memorable from like a collective memory standpoint, but very, very critical in mm-hmm. a game that you might have lost to Nevada. I mean, imagine the trajectory of the season if you lose against Nevada. <laughs> Terrible. So very significant. The OU one. I'm trying to remember when. When did the OU like? At what point in the game did that occur? Was it? Was it like in the middle of the game? I think. It wasn't late. I it don't think was it. Was. It was either like second in my or mind. Third quarter. Yeah, in my mind, I was thinking like sometime in the third quarter. So maybe not not at, not at like a critical moment, basically. Yeah, it was it was either second or third quarter. I can't remember. It was in the middle of the game, but yes. Yeah, and then the uh, Iowa State that was top on Sports Center. I also think they ended up. I I think more than I think about it, it might have been in the end of the first half, and then they got a field goal there. The, it made it. The, I, I think oh, that's you what made it like twenty one. Yeah, twenty one seventeen or something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, should we get to the voting? Yeah. All right. Mm, this is tight. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the Iowa State catch, top two on Sports Center. That's my vote. I'm going the Nevada one. I was strongly considering the Nevada one. I mean, it was the importance of not losing. We that gotta game. have one. We vote the same. One. You know what? Know. Screw it. Give me Nevada. Right, I'll Nevada flip. One. I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna go with the Iowa State one. Wait, no, no. I'm supposed to flip. No. <laughs> All right. What is our uh, non Quentin Skinner catch of the year? We have the. It was a great throw too, by but the Luke Grimm catch at the end of the first half against Illinois on the deep ball. There was the Lawrence Arnold catch on fourth and six against Oklahoma. Yep. 
the Lawrence Arnold touchdown catch against Iowa State. We yep. talked about that one in the throw. Yep. How about Jared Casey's catch to seal the deal against Iowa State? Yep. It was an underthrown ball. Lolly, you, you have it high in the air. You have a defender running at you to make the catch. Like You have, to have a lot of concentration there. And then the Jared Casey touchdown catch against Cincinnati. I would like to add in, the in the BYU game, Jalen Daniels throws a fade to the back corner of the end zone, and Luke Grimm catches it for a touchdown. There was one, it was like a... He, threw he got touch- two touchdowns in the game. He did. One Tory of them, Lachlan had one. Yeah, but one of them was it was a it was like a deep fade to the back corner of the end zone that Luke Grimm caught. I thought that was just like a dart throw that he was just open. Maybe it was. For some reason that was I do out think my mind. Luke Grimm, like Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold both deserve to be on here more because they made a lot of plays look more normal and easier than they should have been. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Let's see. What are you thinking on this one? Should did we I, I gave throw of the year to the the Bean to Arnold one on the fourth down, so I'm not going to double down on that one. Okay. I'm going to go with the Jared Casey catch against Iowa State. To seal the win? Seal the win. It's the third down. They ran the the little play-action play. He lofted it up. Again, that's yeah. a really hard catch. It's in the night sky. The ball is high up in the air. You have to have high concentration. You know somebody is coming at you to hit you, and anytime there's a lofted ball like that, you know it's an increased chance of that happening, especially over the middle of the field. He held on. And they win the game. Yeah, I wish I could quickly find video of that touchdown he had against the Grim had against BYU, mm. but without seeing it and necessarily I mean, just remembering exactly Luke Grimm in general. Just say Luke Grimm did something. I'm sure. Yeah, but I like I like it. I like when we vote the same. So I'll go with I'll give the nod to Jared Casey here, and Jared Casey deserves to win some award. I think. You well, know? we do have the Jared Casey Play of the Year coming. Oh up. crap! I forgot. <laughs> so he's he's gonna win something regardless. Yeah. We'll give him two awards. He deserves it. All right. Uh, block of the year. I mean, countless of Jared Casey blocks. Yes. So he could win another yes. one. You know, okay, real quick. One Jared Casey block that I think deserves a special shout-out, and I may vote for this one. Mm-hmm. Do you remember against Texas? He blocked a dude like 20 yards downfield. It was on a Devin Neal run. It got called back for a holding. But do you remember that block from Jared Casey? I do remember that block. Yes. Yeah. Great block. That's on there for me. Uh, or Marjorie Adams against Texas Tech comes in motion and just pile drives the guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, flashiness, that alone almost probably should win. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have anything in general about Dominic Pooney, but just in general being a wall. Yeah. I mean, he deserves yeah. some credit here. Yeah. There was a really good block by Mason Fairchild, kind of had a curl block on, on Devin Neal's Wildcat touchdown against Cincinnati, if you go back and watch that. Also, if you the second and 21 option touchdown that they had against Texas Tech, Tanaka Scott had a really important block kind of in the slot to open that up for Devin Neal. I think that deserves some credit. And then there's some really good like pass blocks, I thought, by Daniel yeah. Highshaw and Devin Neal that stood out over the course yeah, of the Yeah, Highshaw's pass pro specifically is probably not highlighted enough as uh, one of the skills that he has. Uh, he's, he's always been very, very good at that. So, yeah, I like giving a shout-out to that. But, again, hard to say one specific one specific Yeah, moment. there weren't a ton of just, like, complete pancakes this year. Like, KU, no. their offensive line is is good at doing their job. It, they're not, you know, they're not all Trent Williams where you're just going <laughs> to flatten another 300-pounder. I mean, that's hard to do. Uh, for that reason, yeah. I'm going to our Marjorie Adams. Yeah. Uh, you want to give it Jared, to Jared Casey. I do want to give it to Jared Casey for the Texas block, but it was on a whole, It was on a play that got called back as a holding. But the Marjorie Adams block was like a three-yard gain. So, uh, but how many times are you going to see a guy do that to another guy? I'll give it to our Marjorie Adams. I'll, I'll give him the nod here. Block of the year. All right, what about a hit of the year? I Brought think to you there's by Pearson a very obvious 
clear number one. I mean, one. we've talked about this. Uh, okay, what the Kobe Bryant one's going to win. Yes. Correct. What of the others, <laughs> if, if this was the Oscars or the Academy Awards or whatever, I think they do yeah. four finalists, right? Mm, okay, yeah. I would go Kobe versus BYU. That would be the winner. Yes. J.B. Brown against Oklahoma, forcing the fumble. Yes. Daniel Hyshaw's truck against UCF. Yes. And then I would go Kenny Logan's hit on the Texas Tech receiver. It was third down. It was it was it was the drive before okay, you were down thirteen to ten. You had to have a stop there. The guy would have caught it right at the sticks. It would have been close if he had it or not. Kenny Logan hits him, he drops the ball, they punt, you end up tying it up, but then obviously it didn't go well. Yeah. Uh I just wanted to get Kenny Logan would on. Would you here. add in Cornell Wheeler? What game did he force a fumble in? I do not remember. Okay. Marvin Grant had some real good ones in the first game. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, but to your point, this whole conversation is kind of moot because Kobe Bryant blasting the BYU receiver, scoop and score, touchdown. That's got to be the pick. Yes. Okay, sack of the year. I have a lot of Austin Booker on here. Yeah. He had a lot of sacks. He did. He did. I mean, I was was trying to think. I was like, man. A lot of the players had sacks, but why, for the big ones, can I only think of Austin Booker here? Jimmy so, Robinson had a big one against Illinois, I believe. Okay. That I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, so let's go Jeremy Robinson against Illinois. Okay. He had that strip sack did Austin Booker against UCF at the end of the first half. K was up 24 nothing. It was a chance for UCF to be like, okay, we're kind of back in the game, but he gets the strip sack at the end of the first half, pushing the ball out of, his, out of uh, Timmy McLean's hands. He had the fourth and three, tripped up Dylan Gabriel. I actually don't even know if that went down in the scoreboard or the score sheet as an incomplete pass, intentional grounding, or sack. But I'm just going to give it to him. <laughs> it was an important play. You got to stop on OU on fourth down near your sure. own end. Yeah. Um, there was the Iowa State. They had the long kick return. They marked him out at like the 25. They ended up having third and long around the 30-something. And Rich Miller and Austin Booker kind of combined for a sack. And that pushed Iowa State out of field goal range. So what looked like was going to be their first score of the game, it kept it 14-0. Yeah. And then Austin Booker sack against Kansas State. This is another one where it's like, if KU <laughs> wins that game, this is the answer. Yeah, the sack against Kansas State was big. But to your point, I think that Iowa State one, probably a bit underrated because KU, you're right, they had the bad punt. Iowa State gets the ball literally at the KU 35-yard line, and you think, oh, my gosh, they're gonna, it's, it, it's 14-7. Yep. I mean, how do they not score here? How do they not get any points? And then, sure enough, they do Iowa State things. They find a way to screw it up, and Austin Booker and uh, Rich Miller get the sack, push them out of field goal range. I think that's my vote. I'm going to go with Austin Booker one against K-State. It's not his fault what happened no, after yeah, that. That was such a big play. All right, yeah. pick six of the year. We have Kenny Logan against BYU. First off of all, the tip- Drill. It's crazy that we should that we even have this because we have so many yeah. to vote on. Normally, it's like you might get one as the defense. <laughs> uh, Melo Dotson against Oklahoma. Melo Dotson at Iowa State. The Oklahoma one, I think, is most probably important. the most important. The Iowa State one was cool though. The BYU dude, one was low key important. They were down. Yes, seventeen it was, 14, uh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. BYU had the ball to start the second half. The th- and the thing with the Iowa State one is, it was such a horrible throw from Rocco. I mean, it one was. of the worst throws I've ever seen in my entire life. I really wish the answer here was Rich Miller <laughs> against Will Howard, but we can't have nice things. In another alternate universe, yeah. maybe. I'm going Melo Dotson versus maybe. OU. Yeah, I'll pick the OU one as well because, uh, what? so was OU up at that point? Was it 7 nothing? No, it was 0-0. You just got stopped on oh, the first right, right. down okay, at yeah, their yeah, end. Yeah. Yep, that's what That was, was their first drive. Yeah. No, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll go with that one as well, yeah. All right, Jared Casey, play of the year. 
The squib kick return against Cincinnati. Awesome. He had the one-handed catch, which was followed by him trucking an Oklahoma State player. It was only like a five-yard gain, but it was awesome. He had the catch to seal the Iowa State game that we talked about. He had the yep. touchdown catch against Cincinnati. He had a couple other touchdowns earlier in the season. Uh, and he also, you know, pick any of his big blocks. The Texas, yeah. Texas block. Now, honestly, I think the squib kick return. Deserves. I was going to say that because something about Jared Casey, he just brings yes. joy to yes. watching him, and that was a very joyous play. Yeah, it's hard to explain, really. I think any non-KU fan would be like, dude, a random fullback squib returned kick return? a squib yeah. kick. Like, who cares? It was awesome. But for KU fans, that's my vote. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Brian Haney is going to join us in about 15, 20 minutes from right now. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're picking our KU Connecticut uh, ticket winner coming up next on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep deep during the stretches and they'll take it from there it's great for your body and your mind and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care massage envy on 6th street in lawrence and 119th and black bob in Alefa. about a quarter till five on rock chalk sports talk we uh, are going to talk more about some of the uh, coaching changes coming up in the five o'clock hour we still got to get to our ku basketball heroes and villains segment uh joined now by brian haney voice of the jayhawks here in studio so uh did you get your fill i, I talked to david lawrence earlier this week he said that I, I don't know if you were part of the the dinner you guys went and got skyline chili at least he did over this yes, past weekend i, I wasn't part of that the, the better of the two meals was montgomery okay. inn which uh, is a famous barbecue place up there, and you know, so not Skyline. Chili. Blasphemous to say it's better than Kansas City barbecue. Like when you asked your volleyball question about <laughs> <Right>. sacrilegious, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's blasphemous to ever say anything is better than Kansas City. But I'm telling you, Montgomery and barbecue, their ribs are pretty dang good. Mm. You sit right there on the edge of the river on the water banks, and and you look out, and you're you're right nestled in between the Bengal Stadium, and and then obviously where the Cincinnati Reds call home, and so it's it's a pretty cool setup. Skyline Chili, definitely overrated. I thought David was a little harsh with his six on a scale of one to ten. Okay, but six uh, isn't bad. Though. Keep in mind he's a former restaurateur, so he he's he's not he would only, not be serving it at, at his previous restaurants. Right, he's not only tasting it with a palate of you know consumer, but also he's like, boy, it probably only cost them ten cents to That's make. That's exactly what he told me. Yeah, yeah, he's he thinking said, I'm about jealous it that way. of the the turnaround on the money. I'm just sitting back enjoying a, l- a little bit of cheese and, <laughs> so, uh, and some spaghetti. My and, concern was, I mean, how much shredded cheese did they put on it? I mean, everything I saw, they put like just a bunch of shredded cheese on it. There was a lot. There was a lot. It's kind of like that commercial that's on TV right now where the guys. Um, serving somebody's yes. like say More. win and, and it's like yeah. a pile of cheese when you're done with it but now we we probably we, you know when you when you're in rome you got to do as the romans do when in cincinnati you got to eat there at least once we did it it's out of the way and now future trips will probably go elsewhere and now you've handled i mean you guys went to houston last year you've done this one so what's still on the ledger for the new schools you got to go orlando but that'll happen in basketball here in a few weeks Unless uh, we get a bowl invite. Yeah, I guess that's nah. true. Yeah, you never know. Could be. Pop-Tarts, right? We'd love that. Um, so, you know, that one, I don't think they play at Provo this year. So, you still have at BYU yeah. and then the new schools that are coming in next year. I, I, I how, how would you rate them? I don't know. Cincinnati, Houston, if you had a preference to, to well, go back to one, which would it be? Provo was the one I was most excited okay. to go to because the scenery is obviously gorgeous and the setting for college football out there is beautiful. But, uh, yeah, of, of the ones we've been to, 
Neither is especially anything to write home about necessarily, but what you do get if you're a sports fan like me that's always like trying to squeeze in the extra game, going to those major metropolitan cities of Cincinnati mm-hmm. and Houston, I remember doing KU women's basketball at Houston 14 years ago, and I snuck in a Rockets game the night before we played. So it's doing stuff like that when you get a chance to go to the big cities. That would be the one yeah. redeeming quality because the chili was indeed overrated. Well, 8-4 and four, the finish of the regular season. We await the bowl game this weekend. When, when you think back over the regular season now and what this team has meant to the program, what would be the defining trait or characteristic or, or the thing that you're most going to remember from this team? Perseverance. Because they wind up exactly where we predicted they would be. When we came on in August and we were doing our record predictions, I think we all said eight and four. And yet, if Shout you, out Matt Tate, by the way, who had him going eight and four and hit every single game. He picked every game really? exactly right. 12 and 0 that? on the picks. Yeah. And yet, if you would have told any of the four of us, including Matt Tate, that the preseason Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year would play just three games and that at some point you'd be down mm. to a true freshman, former walk-on quarterback for basically seven straight quarters, I don't think any of the four of us would have had the confidence to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to stick with my eight and four. I would have been like, hey, did you write that in pen, or can I erase that and, and, and maybe say six and six? As much as we love Lance, like if you would have told me those were the circumstances heading in, I probably wouldn't have thought eight and four was possible. Now, we also didn't think the Big 12 would be as wide open and ripe for the picking as it was. And it's kind of crazy on a separate tangent to think how close we were to 10 and two or 11 and one if things break a different way. But the fact that they were able to overcome that initial, you know, catastrophic setback of losing your leader, losing your generational quarterback and have Jason being a guy that was vilified by a lot of fans at the end of last season end up turning in a heroic senior season, one that will have him remembered fondly for a long, long time here. It's one of the great success stories and a microcosm of the team's perseverance, whether it was persevering over in-season injuries or curveballs that were thrown our way or redefining or reshaping a career or legacy in Bean's case. I think that's the word is perseverance. So that's how I'll remember him. And uh, hopefully we tack on that ninth win. We joked about Orlando. That's definitely a possibility. I still think guaranteed rate is, is the strongest of the three options that are most discussed. But either way, to be bowling for a second consecutive year and to be an attractive team that is fun to watch because the offense is creative. And I know that's a topic coming up next segment for you guys. <laughs> but we're, we're a creative offense with a lot of high-flying you know, explosive personnel, and we've got a rejuvenated fan base that's shown they want to travel and support these guys. Makes us a very attractive bowl fit, and I can't wait to see what Sunday brings in that regard. Well, how about Friday? KU-UConn, top five game, last two national champions. Probably going to be a fun one for you to call. You can hear that. Uh, pre-game will start at 6.30 with the Jayhawk Radio Network and uh, tip-off at 8 o'clock. Uh, when you go back to the Eastern Illinois game, certainly some some panic among KU fans anytime you win a game much closer than it should yeah. be. Uh, obviously still so early in the season. When you look at some of the the things that are maybe plaguing them, I guess, so to speak, early in the year, what are some of the things right now that you think come, I don't know, January, February, March, that you think are correctable, that you think are going to get a lot better from where they're at right now? Well, eventually they'll convince DeWan that you know he needs to stay an aggressor offensively, continue to assert, because we had the same exact conversation two weeks ago before he went to the United Center right. and hung 23 on Kentucky with five threes. He even put it on his TikTok or Instagram, I'll shoot when I need to shoot, yeah. and then he did. Look what happened. But 
I think naturally he's such a selfless guy that, that he's fine with deferring. But as Bill very astutely pointed out twice already this week, you know, two years ago he had Ochan on one wing and CB on the other. Last year he had Kevin on one wing and obviously Jay Will on the other. Now you don't have that other wing option that, that's a proven 15-point-per-game score. He kind of needs to step into that. I think they'll convince him of that. The other things, as you termed it, plaguing the team, that could get shored up by January or February, that three-headed monster at freshman that is Jekyll and Hyde, it's probably a better metaphor than a three-headed monster, You know, good one day, questionable the next, you're going to start to get more consistency there. They've all flashed moments of brilliance, and they've all flashed plenty of moments of growing pains, but I like what I see more times than not. And there was a great coaching moment in the pregame shoot-around on Tuesday prior to the game where Self didn't pull any punches and had some pretty specific criticism for those guys in making sure they are as prepared with the opponent scouting report as McCullough Harris and Dickinson. Now you would expect the seniors to be the most prepared because they know what's expected and they've gone through it before. But here was a coach five hours from tip off talking to his guys about how he expects them to know frontwards and backwards inside and out the opponent scattering report just as well as the seniors do, because whether they're going to play two minutes or 32 minutes, that's the expectation at Kansas. And, and I love that. And, and I think when you can get teaching moments in narrow victories, I love it all the more. People say sometimes the greatest educator is the lessons learned in defeat. I'd rather learn a lesson in a six or eight point win uh, that we skated by because I, I still think Bill Self can get his point across, and I think he did. So long story short, I think the freshman inconsistencies will start to smooth out. Grady Dick's not walking through that door. Josh Jackson's not walking through that door. You're not going to get that type of freshman impact out of those three this season, but you'll get more trusted, reliable impact, I think, if we're talking about a January, February time frame. If nothing else, you got a full month in between semesters for them to focus on nothing but ball and getting better, and I think that'll happen. What else? How about K.J. Adams' free throw shooting? I pointed this out on the broadcast. Happened last year. What's that? Yeah, happened last exactly. year. Exactly. The exact numbers. He was 2 of 13 at that same juncture, exactly, and then he got on a hot stretch in December. Now, I'm not going to stop the presses and have cars swerve off the road with him going 2 for 3 on Tuesday night, but that's exactly when it started to trend upward last year. That's going to get better. And then finally, I think we all really are pulling hard for Nick Timberlake. It's clearly in there. I mean, he did it at 42% right. from three and 18 points a game at Towson. The athleticism, I'm telling you, this guy is sneaky athletic. He dunks on dudes in practice. He tried to he dunk tried, on a couple yeah. guys the other night. It didn't, didn't work close. out. But yeah. you see him take off. And, and guys don't take a running start and try to Superman posterize a guy unless they've done it before and know they can do it. To me, that was a sign that the confidence is coming back. I was worried when his first shot was an air ball and he missed by five <laughs> feet, but he hits two long-range shots after that, and you could start to see the light come on. I think all those concerns, not things plaguing the team, but concerns are ones that will get shored up and solidified in the next six weeks. And top five matchup here, if, if they beat UConn, I think any of the, I don't know, like any of the complaints or concerns, however you want to categorize them, against Eastern Illinois. If you beat UConn, nobody's going to remember what happened in the Eastern Illinois Never. game. Never. kind of the, the funny part of it. So what to you is the key to beating UConn on Friday night? Yeah, that, that'll be a 
Did we ever play Eastern Illinois for like 10 years from now? Nobody will remember that game at all. I don't know, but you don't want to play them when you're 30-point favorites because they beat Iowa last year. Like exactly. Point dog. We'll yeah. remember Marlon London coming back, which is a reference <laughs> too old for you two guys, but th- that'll be all we remember from that game if you follow it up with a win over UConn. And if tomorrow night is what I hope it is, which is Hunter Dickinson's just center stage moment. You've heard me describe this before, and we talked to him about it last night on Hawk Talk. He is the man in the arena. He's the guy Roosevelt was talking about. He loves being the center of attention in a good way. So whether you're dog cussing him and booing him and jeering him, or you think he's God's gift to basketball and you're bowing down and cheering him, he just loves being at the thick of it. And he straight up said that the the gesture after the made three at the United Center was uh, uh, a raise of the glass, so to speak, to the Michigan State and Kentucky fans that had teamed up to boo him, and, and that was for them. And I love it that he said that with such confidence and and uh, decisiveness. But this is a guy that came to Kansas to play in games like tomorrow night. This is a guy that was so excited to see the Fieldhouse turned up for late night, and late night is like one twentieth of the buzz and the electricity you're going to feel tomorrow night. So I look to see a turned-up hunter. I look to see those two seven-two centers you know, going to battle on the block down low. And Klingon's great. He's made a big jump from last year to this year. Don't get me wrong. But Hunter's a little bit longer in the tooth. He's more experienced. And this is his moment. He is the man in the arena. And he's going to be pounding his chest, waving that 7-4 wingspan <laughs> up and down in the air, getting the crowd fired up. Let's hope KU comes out on top. Because if they do... Man, that'll be the one you remember. In the same way that I remember KU beating Indiana when I was like 13 years old as that December signature blue blood non-con win, 30 years later, I'm still talking about that. Tomorrow night could be that moment for the next 13-year-old kid going to the game. And yeah, you won't be talking about Eastern Illinois. I promise you that. That's for sure. He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Hear him on the call of that game, 8 o'clock pregame with the Crimson and Blue Show starts at 6.30. Before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. Big fan of Nate Miller. He's helping me get my financial portfolio in order. He said, Brian, you have to go get some money first, and then I can work with you. <laughs> so I'm still working on my end of the bargain. But he'll set you down and and lay out the most profitable financial game plan for your future, the most secure future when it comes to your finances. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Always a pleasure, guys. Great to see you. I love coming in studio so I can see Nick Springer's you. new haircut, <laughs> ask you about the baby, how the pregnancy's yeah. coming along. So it's always good to hang out with you guys. That's right. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Cue the disclaimer. Ryan is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Two hours down, one to go. More uh, KU football talk, little KU basketball heroes and villains, and this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, 5 o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, tomorrow we'll have your KU-UConn game. Of course, you won't be able to hear the action right here with the KU volleyball game, so those are on ESPN Plus tonight at 7 and tomorrow at 5.30. Uh, we're going to get to some KU women's basketball audio coming up in our next segment, but the big news of the day, Andy Kotelnicki, per Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, has taken the Penn State offensive coordinator position and uh, is moving on. Now, in conjunction with that, we saw uh, news directly from KU that Jim Zabrowski, who is the previous quarterbacks coach, has been promoted to co-offensive coordinator. The co thing is throwing some people for a loop. I think that's just a uh, procedural thing of 
He's technically co-offensive coordinator. Like, what if they scheduled that to release and it released right when Bruce Feldman <laughs> tweeted that? And so they were basically releasing it to say he's co-OC with Andy Kotelnicki, and then now that Kotelnicki's gone, maybe he'll just be full OC. I don't know. And then yeah. uh, the other one, Jordan Peterson, who was the defensive backs coach, is now co-defensive coordinator with Brian Borland. Yeah, that's I, the only stuff that's been confirmed yes. by, by KU specifically. But Andy Kotelnicki does sound like he's going to be gone. So That is right. Um, I think there have been a few recruits that have actually posted on social media their kind of support of the move of Jim Zabrowski. Or of Jordan Peterson, yeah. Uh, Jalen Todd, who's one of the, the like the four star corner that KU has. I mean, they got a bunch of corners in the class. Jalen yeah. Todd's a four star. David McComb, who's like a four star quarterback, they have in the class of twenty twenty five. Isaiah Marshall, who's the quarterback they have in class of twenty twenty four, who one of his primary recruiters was Jim Zabrowski, have all kind of tweeted something in support. So that's obviously got to be a good sign that those guys are well liked, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, just on the Cole Nicky stuff. You know, going to Penn State, I think we've said it multiple times that maybe you you expected he wouldn't leave unless for it was for a head coaching job. Penn State, obviously, I think is a, is enough of a national brand to where it's it's kind of a stepping stone for Andy Kolnicki to say, okay, I go to Penn State, and Penn State, we get to the point where Penn State is beating Ohio State or beating Michigan, wins a Big Ten title, gets to the playoff, maybe plays for a national championship. Now, all of a sudden, at Penn State, you're going to have high major Power Five programs calling you, whereas Maybe at Kansas, even though he's done very, very well at KU, the the calls from other programs for a head coaching job would be from group of five programs or lower level power five. So for Andy Kolnicki, if he wants to be a head coach, if he wants to be a head coach quickly, I think it's a, it's a, it's a risk on one hand to go to a place like Penn State, but certainly the payoff could be significantly could be significant for him both financially and in terms of just prestige of what job he could get. So uh, you know, I think you have to commend him, right? In the in the era in this era of college athletics. It is virtually impossible to maintain the level of staff continuity that KU has maintained and that Lance Leipold has man- maintained, even going back to his time at Wisconsin Whitewater and Buffalo. Right, like KU is the exception to the rule in this current landscape of college athletics with coaching, where coaches are constantly moving around and leaving. And, and KU, to their credit, Lance Leipold has done an excellent job of maintaining that continuity. But it's only logical to assume that as you go to a program like Kansas and you've done what you've done in terms of rebuilding KU. It's only natural that you're going to have other programs say, "Hey, you know those guys. They turned a program that was completely in the dumps, the worst Power Five program in the country, into something that is now going to back-to-back bowl games and eight and four this season. Maybe we should look at hiring some of those guys." So that's only natural to happen. And uh, you know, I think in terms of the Jordan Peterson we talked about earlier in the show, like the fact that they promoted him and he's kind of been an incredible recruiter and, and seems like a bright young defensive mind. So that's significant news in maintaining him, but. I think you have to trust Lance Leipold to keep going beyond this, right? To to understand that hey, this is this this was probably yeah. going to happen at, at some point. You've still got the CEO. You hire I, I, Lance Leipold is a really good head coach, and part of the things you do as a head coach are organize your staff, and that's something <laughs> yeah. he does so well. So like, you should have trust there. And I, I saw that I, I, Brandon McAnderson from the Jayhawk Radio Network put something out there on social media saying that, um, basically, bottom line, like. This isn't about one guy. Like, KU football as a program is not about yeah. one guy. Andy Kotelnicki, instrumental to this guy. He's done an excellent job as offensive coordinator. But this isn't just about him. It's about the other coaches. Yeah. It's about Lance Leipold. It's about the I mean, players. Think about what Lance Leipold preaches all the time. Yeah. He preaches the system, the process. That's not all one guy. 
right? So you should be able to, if you lose a cog, you should be able to replace that and, and be able to still move forward. Is there not a better example than what's happened at the KU quarterback position in the last two years? Yeah. Having to, to have Jalen Daniels injured the last two years go to Jason Bean. This year, go from Jason Bean to Cole Ballard, who was a true freshman, former walk-on turned scholarship player. I mean, if that's not more indicative of this team is more than one player, this team is more than one person, I don't know what is. So yeah. I think they're going to be fine moving forward. The big question to me just becomes, can you keep as much of this together? Can you keep the players who can come back for next year? Can you avoid players going into the portal? Because if you do have all your players back that can come back for next year, even with Jim Zabrowski moving up to offense coordinator, I, I, which which will remain to be seen, I, I have trust <laughs> that he's going to do a good job. Yeah. Um, they could still be in for a special season next year. So uh, we'll, we'll have plenty more time to talk about the KU football stuff over the coming weeks. Uh, I do want to get to a KU basketball heroes and villains segment from the Kansas-Eastern-Illinois game. Uh, so to that notion, let's start with the heroes. Who is the offensive hero for the KU basketball team? Wow, this is a really, really tough choice. I mean, there's so is many it? great options. You know, who could I possibly okay, pick? Oh, wait! Yeah. Hunter Dickinson had 25 points. He did. Oh! Okay, there you go. He also had five offensive rebounds, which we're talking about offense. He also had two assists. Hunter Dickinson. Could I throw Kevin McCuller out there? 18 you could. points, yeah, you five could. assists. You could. But he didn't shoot the ball very well. No, he was 0 for 2 from 3. He was 8 of 18, so that's around 50%. But Not bad, you know. I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Hunter Dickinson. Hunter he was the offensive Dickinson. Hero. The Superman. The seven, what if Superman was 7-2? Uh, why it wasn't Superman 7-2 is the better. He's super. <laughs> shouldn't he be better at everything? That Shouldn't he be like eight feet tall? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and he's not, he, I mean, he's not from Earth. So they he's from Kansas, which is Earth. I thought he's from like whatever. I was just joking. Krypton, I mean, he lives whatever. in Kansas. Yeah, he, Kry, Krypton. Krypton. Is that right? Krypton, yeah. So who, what, I mean, he should not have to adhere to the human, regular human dimension. Yeah, wait, why is he called Superman? Because he's not a man. He's an alien. He should be super alien. He's know. from another planet. Well, I mean, he could be Superman. He's not a man. He's not a human. Well, do we know what he is? I don't know. I don't have enough Superman lore. This goes back to the idea. Somebody who probably really knows a lot about Superman is like, <laughs> wow, these guys are idiots. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's see. Defensive hero. Who's the defensive hero of the game? Mm. Oh, I mean, Hunter Dickinson did have a lot of Dickinson rebounds. Dickinson had eight had defensive blocks. rebounds, which is what you do to complete the defensive position. Also three blocks and a steal. So did he lead the team in blocks? They had 11 he blocks did. in total. He had three. Parker Brown had two. K.J. Adams had two. And then uh, one from some other players. I mean, Steals leaders. is, it, is it wrong to go with Hunter Dickinson? I don't think it's wrong. I wouldn't pick him, but I don't think it's wrong. Okay. I uh, I mean, K.J. Adams had two steals, two blocks. That's helpful. Yeah. I would almost, I would go with Kevin McCuller. He had one steal, one block. Um, but I think he came up with some key moment plays. I'll go with Hunter Dickinson. Okay. Again. I mean, Dewan Harris had a, uh, the, the steal at the key moment when it was 66-61. He got the steal there, and it led yeah. to the, the easy bucket for Kevin McCuller. Yeah. So, actually, for that notion, I am going to go Dewan Harris. But, wow. I don't know. I thought there were a few plays throughout the game. That, no, I'm going to go Kevin McCuller. Kevin okay. McCuller is okay. my uh, defensive hero here. Okay. We don't have a special teams hero. Should we do a bench hero? For football, when we do this, we have a special teams hero. Let's do yeah. bench hero. All right, bench hero. Well, it's not going to be Jamar McDowell because some idiot said he was going to play a lot and then he didn't play. So, I'm not, not going with him. Well, I mean, listen, Johnny Furphy's got six points. Timberlake had five. I think you have to go with Furphy, though, right? Because Timberlake he didn't play in the second a three. Half. 
and didn't really play that much. Yeah, because of defense. I mean, the stats actually were good for Timberlake: five points, three rebounds, two assists, hit two shots, hit a three in eleven minutes. But Not he didn't play in the second half because he didn't earn Billsoff's trust. So Furf and Furfy. Furf dog, almost by default. Furf and turf. Yes. Super Furf. Furf man. Who is the villain of the game? Hmm. Um. Uh, the Booker, the, the Tiger the, Booker the guy. Booker guy. I mean, first of all, his name's Tiger, and you have Missouri, who's the Tigers, so that Fair. automatically yeah. makes you an enemy. Well, is the villain in a weird way like the KU energy? Fact that, like, um, like I'm trying to spin this into such a manner to where it's like the villain of the game is the fact that it was a close game when it shouldn't have been, but and it's like related to is the villain Vegas for setting the line too high and getting our expectations up too much? No, because I think Vegas probably set the line what they thought it was going to be. Accurate, yeah. No, but Booker had 20 points off the bench. Yeah, that's villainous behavior if I've ever seen it. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with that. Uh, the Jacoby kid, he had 14 points, nine rebounds, hit two threes. Yeah, he's actually pretty the- good. No, you know what was the villain was uh I don't even remember which one of their players hit the shot. The end of the first half play. That was the villain. Okay. You would have been up 16 at the half and that made it a little closer, grabbed them back some momentum. That might have been the villain. Okay, I'm fine with that. Uh rebounding? Could that have been the villain? Oh yeah, yeah. Free throw shooting. Free throw shooting, villain. Free throw shooting's a villain. Three point shooting, villain. Yeah, yeah, that, those the shooting ones. in general, villain. Yeah. Uh, I like three-point shooting. Actually. High expectations. Villain? See, that's what I was trying to say. I'm trying to spin it in yeah. such a manner, you know. I don't know. All right. KU's going to win on tomorrow night, and nobody's going to care anymore about East Illinois. So. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have some uh, KU women's basketball audio. We're going to come at you coming up on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.